Welcome to everybody's favorite podcast, live from Pearl Lane and a bunch of other places, and not even Pearl Lane, but a combination of Mississippi and wherever you North Carolinians are from. Uh, we're here on another grind, another episode. I'm here with uh, Sweet Tea, Corbin, and Sam, um, and we're here to talk some sports on a very hot and warm and muggy uh, summer afternoon. Jeez. Ninety nine. Why don't we all sign in? Sign in where you're where you're at right now, where you're coming to us live from. Uh, I'll start. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, where the current weather is 100 uh, degrees and the heat index makes it so that it feels like 111. I think is what I saw on my weather app this morning. Yeah, I'm in Indian Trail right now, just outside Charlotte is 99 degrees. So. The fact that I can say that it's cooler here sounds very strange. Than where you That's are. absurd, so dude. Burning up. I got you both beat. I'm in Concord, North Carolina, and it's a cool 98 degrees. Wow. And I've got all of you guys beat. I'm currently in Charlotte, and it's a cool 97. Dude, it's no way. over there. Goodness dude, gracious. I've got to wear a jacket outside, man. Dude. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, let's get on into it. Just earlier this week, the Warriors finished out the Celtics in six. Steph Curry finally got his first MVP, even though Andrew Wiggins did his best to take it from him, like Andre Iguodala back in the day. So what do you guys got to say? What what your reactions? Did it go as you expected? How did the finals play out? I would I would say that I wouldn't say that anybody's shocked with the result, but I would say that the the pacing of this series definitely probably surprised some. Because um, Boston went up two one, and for a time in Game Four, with the opportunity to go up three one, they were up like for a good portion of the game. Um, and like you said, you know, a lot of other players in this series did their, you know, put forth their best efforts to take that Finals MVP away because you had at least at the start. Uh, Jalen Brown had a strong start to the series. It was looking like when they were up, he had put himself in contention to get finals MVP. Jason Tatum, even though he struggled from the field all series, was putting up presentable enough stats where you thought maybe he would get it. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, solid defensive effort all series. He was, you know, for that. And he put, he put his name in there too, but ultimately it was the chef who his signature night-night celebration made it all the way to the NBA Finals when they took that when took down the Celtics, bro. What a series that was. Mm, that's a strong – I mean, I, I agree, Sam. I honestly – I loved your point about pacing. Like, <clears throat> I don't know what it was about I, – I, I feel like it has to come down to the coaching staff. Um, that Because nothing at this level when you have the Finals – I mean – Nothing that goes down is like unplanned for. I think, I think anything that goes well for your team is is probably up to some level of like tactics. Um, and you saw that with the the, the lineup that the Warriors fielded against the Grizzlies um, two whole series ago, where the Grizzlies had 
them outsized by a good margin, but yet they were out rebounded on the offensive end like crazy. Like four out of the five games, they got demolished on the offensive boards because of the lineup that uh, Golden State chose to to field. Even in the midst of somebody like Stephen Adams setting a pick on you know Chef, which is like a foot and a half uh, height difference, like they're still finding ways to get the offensive boards and to crash well. And I mean, obviously Wiggins. Maybe to me, even though Steph got the finals MVP, to me, Wiggins is is the story of, of the series. Um, no doubt. Because it's, everything that he showed up and did, um, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't have I wouldn't have counted on it at the beginning of the series, but it, it proved to be absolutely necessary. Um, and also the unspoken storyline might also be the defense that Chef and Clay played. I mean, I, I thought they the Chef on ball may have like solidified himself as a better defender to the nation than people may have thought. Most definitely. I will note about Wiggins quickly. Um, when he was guarding Tatum, Tatum shot 37%. So you talk about guys that come into the series with something to prove. I don't think we saw Andrew Wiggins being in this position like even two, three years ago um, when he was moving around the league, especially after being a former number one overall pick. Like what he's doing now, you would have expected from the jump. Sometimes that doesn't happen with player development, but to come into the series and basically take an opposing team's best player out of the game, like you know that's the game plan, but it's easy to say. It's even more impressive to go in and actually do because I'm sure Mark is smart with his laurels this season and all the awards he got. Of course you think he'd draw the Steph Curry assignment. Did he really do anything? No, because we're still sitting here talking about how great of a series Steph had. So I think what Wiggins did, is what the was what the Celtics failed to do against the Warriors' best players, and that was ultimately the difference. Yeah, man. I um, I mean, I just went in kind of um, with an open mind when I was talking with Turner on the last podcast series. Um, he and I both agreed that the Warriors had the upper hand, but that it was very likely that if Boston played to their strengths, like they had in the last couple of series, that they would go ahead and you know possibly win the whole thing. But, um, you know, as we probably should have all expected, the Warriors did what they do best, and that's make other good teams look bad um, and play to their experience. And they did just that. And they, they honestly revealed to us why the Celtics are still a work in progress and why they're so young and still haven't had that full playoffs experience yet um, in terms of making it so far into the finals. Um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, none of the guys on the Celtics team had ever made a finals or, or none of those, at least the role guys. So, you know, they, you know, going in, the Celtics have the advantage um, just instantly from purely an experience standpoint. Um, and I think that really helped them um, target guys who, while extremely talented, like Tatum, um, you know, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, all of that, um, allowed them to target um, – you know, guys who probably still had like a little bit of like, you know, first finals jitters and weren't prepared mentally. Um, and you could see probably around like game four, five, um, you could definitely notice that like in Tatum's instance, he was totally passing it off. Like he would pass the ball off when he had a good matchup. Um, he would like throw it into the corner where Pritchard was or Brown or something, or just pass it back to the top of the key. Like, like there's a certain level of confidence that just had all but disappeared, especially in game six. And um, like, he just wasn't, he wasn't the Tatum that we'd seen throughout the playoffs and seen during the regular season. He wasn't the all NBA first team Tatum that we'd, um, 
you know, come to think was going to be one of the best players over the next couple of years. Um, and the same, you can, I think, I feel like you could say the same for um, some other Celtics guys who had great regular seasons, like Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, you know, is obviously not the greatest offensive player, but he's still very respectable and he was not m- making a lot of good shots um, for the uh, Celtics down the stretch. Um, his defense, um, as you just mentioned, Sam, like, he couldn't stop Steph Curry. Like, Steph Curry was still putting up big buckets um, regardless. Um, and, and like, you also talk about um, the depth that the Celtics had coming off the bench. Derek White struggled mightily. Um, Peyton Pritchard did, at, like, very little to help. The, really, the only bench player they had that did good was Al Horford. Um, and in terms of, like, starting lineup, the only good offensive player they had was Jalen Brown in the stretch. So – uh, the Warriors um, really took advantage of that experience and also of their ability to adjust in big time situations like this and were able to knock off Celtics in six. Yeah, the Warriors, I, I was really impressed that they were able to win and looks considering how really, frankly, bad Clay Thompson looked throughout most of the series. I mean, he was taking terrible shots at times. Game six, Clay was the complete opposite of what we've become accustomed to. And instead, it was Andrew Wiggins who stepped up as the guy who could create a shot when it, the offense wasn't flowing or when the primary pick-and-roll action with Steph and whatever post player wasn't creating. And he made the his ability to make long run plays and get to the rim was series changing. And I also really loved that Draymond had a throwback performance in Game Six. Vintage. <laughs> he, was, he was feeling it after his first three, and then he was really feeling it after he made his third jump shot. And. He kind of set the tone, too, for the series just with his physicality, especially early on, and just in how much he seemed to get in the heads of some of the younger Celtics players. Yeah, I think he – that's a good point because, you know, a lot of people with Draymond, it, all these tried and, like, trite jokes at this point about him being, oh, Mr. Triple Single, and there's no tangible impact he has on the court. Well, for starters, Corbin made a good point. Jalen Brown was really the only consistent – score every, you know, at least in every game of this series for Boston, he was held to 29% when he was being guarded by Draymond Green. So, you know, Draymond, obviously, at, at, I guess you could argue that he could really shoot the ball at his best in 2016, but really at no point in Draymond's career has he been a standalone, you know, offensive star. He, he, his success offensively is a product of everybody being keyed in on the other shooters on the court, especially with the emergence of Jordan Poole. It makes defense even harder to play because it feels like everybody on the court can throw up a shot. Otto Porter probably hit like I could probably count as many. I could probably count the threes that Otto Porter hit in the regular season on all 10 fingers. But all of a sudden when we're in the finals, everybody's game is elevated when you play with the greatest shooters ever because the distribution of players on defense, you have everybody focusing on the backcourt, Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, Andrew Wiggins, you know, all those other guys, even, even Kevon Looney, who literally at one point I would say in the Western conference finals, you would have thought he was going to win Western Conference Finals MVP, like with those games that he had earlier in the series. So everybody, as a result for Golden State, stepped up. And if anything, 
with what you get with Draymond Green is the emotional support. Because I know as somebody on the Warriors team, if I know Draymond is going to get vocal and back me up and get physical, why would I not want to go out and play defense just as good as he is or make that extra effort to use his screen to get open? So, you know, I think Draymond Green was just as much a part of that Warriors championship as he had been for any of the others, you know, even though offensively speaking, he's not anywhere near the level of like Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, you know, those guys. Uh, Draymond still makes a huge impact regardless. So huge for that series. So we'll see though. Um, you, you do still have to give the Celtics defense some credit because the Mavericks, they were a top five defense in the league this season. And this, the Warriors looked like a juggernaut against the Mavericks. They could get whatever they wanted. They made it look easy. And against the Celtics, there were games and long stretches of play where an open jump shot or space for Steph were, were really tough to get. So in that way, I think the Celtics should be really proud of what they did. Their defense really did hold up pretty well considering that you're playing the greatest shooters ever and I think they have a lot to to grow on but yeah like like Corbin kind of talked about Al Horford was really the only guy who like was giving it his all it seemed like in the closeout game Uh, Jalen Brown was was creating a lot too but he still makes a lot of simple turnovers and, and dribbling errors and he's just got a lot of room to improve there and, and he kind of disappeared during the stretch and and really just needs to improve as a creator more in these late game scenarios so they've got a lot to grow on and have a lot of potential but I still think they need some maybe some more bench scoring pieces and Tatum and Brown just have to mature. They're pretty young. But. Yeah. You, you think that you think they get back? How close do they get next year, Turner? Way too early prediction. Um, for the East, it's really hard to say because uh, you just don't know what's going to happen in free agency. But I think they should be the favorite to get back. I, actually, no. No. I, I would actually say the Bucks should be the favorite. Um, Fair enough. And I think the Celtics should be the second favorite because, I mean, Chris Middleton was out too, so you never know what happened if he played. Right. I think that's always the toughest thing because we think about even with Super Bowls, right? Like the one chance you do, I think even Mark Jackson, some of that in the ESPN broadcast team was saying this, like you you think about, oh, we'll do better and we'll get back next year. It's like, well, you don't know. It's like it's always important to capitalize when you have that opportunity because teams reload every year. The Western Conference in all realisticality could look totally different next year just off the fact that the Clippers are reloaded, you're getting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard back next season. Who knows what type of support Jokic will get back next season? You know, how will that influence who makes it out of the West? That's why it was so important that the Suns utilize their window because I think their window is closing. When you made it last year, you have to capitalize because now this year they lost to Dallas. Did anybody in Phoenix really expect their season to end at the hands of Luka Doncic? I don't think so. So, you know, you, you don't know. It's a great point, Turner. When everybody reloads and the, and the, the free agency is going to be especially interesting because even the Nets, it looks like they're on the precipice of falling <laughs> apart because, you know, courtesy of Kyrie Irving, wherever he goes. So it's like you just you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know if the Celtics do it again. I, you know, uh, the good thing is Tatum and Brown have learned to play together because that was one of those one of the big questions when that team was forming is like, how well will they play? So but but you, there's no guarantees. 
So who, who knows how far they'll get. They'll be competitive, I'm sure, but if, whether or not they get back to the finals, that's a tough one to answer. I, I couldn't agree more, Sam. Isaac, Corbin, do you guys have any more input on the finals? Just that I think that Sam's take just then was one of the highlights of our podcast since we started doing it. That was a freaking – that was a well-told point, dude. <laughs> I'm so on board with that. Well-told. Thank you. Thank you. Dude, absolutely. That was that was spoken like a podcast vet. I love that. Told, <laughs> dude. Told. T-O-L-D. Oh, my gosh. You guys are too much, bro. No, no, for real, man. Um, and just one last – I feel like I totally forgot to mention – I was also impressed with Robert Williams. That dude was an oh, absolute monster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. He was blocking jump shots when they were like 10, when they're like 11 feet in the air already. Like, he's he's a freak and he and he gave his all too. And so I do want to throw him in there with like Al Horford. So I don't want to do him dirty like that because he was, I mean, he was also playing unhealthy too. I don't know if it was right. bad or knee, but um, he, yeah, he would, I mean, he's going to be an absolute paint beast over the next couple of years. And his, his, Easily a top five defensive center in the league, if not like number one. I think you could him up there with Rudy Gobert. Um, just the way he's been playing recently, um, and how dominant he's been. But um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I to bring his name up. Yeah, because didn't he make? Uh, you guys are gonna probably correct me, but didn't he make second team or first team All Defensive this year? Right, something like that. Second team, maybe. Second team. He also has one of the hardest nicknames ever, the Time Warden. Like, dude, that is literally so hard. Like, awesome. that nickname goes so crazy. So, yeah, no, he definitely stepped up defensively, and especially catching a bunch of Jalen Brown errant shots and putting them back up, like bailing them out continuously. So, yeah. He had the highest plus-minus, like, on-off on uh, metric for the Celtics in the finals, too. Oh, wow. So if he can just stay on the court, man, he's just injury prone. But hopefully he gets healthy because when he's on the court, he's so fun to watch. Without a doubt. All right. So let's move on to the next part. Steph Curry legacy. Bro, this one is crazy because I know I was talking to you guys before we started recording, but like, I think recency bias is so crazy sometimes because when guys do something, incredible feats, mind you. But when they win things, people take that and they elevate it, maybe elevate players past other guys that we need to take a moment and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, these guys have their own type of resume. Like, And I noticed that with Steph Curry, most notably with LeBron, because when Steph and them won the championship, a lot of people were saying, oh, my gosh, like, he's top five. I'm like, wait a minute, like, two months ago, like, Y'all weren't even put him in the top 10. So you're saying that, okay, I understand he wins a ring. He's tied with LeBron. But, like, God, like, there's no way we're having this, this type of conversation. Because LeBron has made 18 All-Star games, and he's an 18-time All-NBA player. Steph, albeit a little bit younger, is not – statistically, aside from his three-point shooting, is not – you know, n- nothing jumps out to you to the same extent as guys like LeBron and Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant. I – you know, I don't, I don't know if I have him top five. I'm very curious to hear where you guys put him all the time after that because that's what I've noticed since he's won is we've had a lot of recency bias in the way people are ranking him. First, I think we're all in agreement that Steph, saying Steph and LeBron in sentences is pretty crazy, right? Hey, Turner, is your microphone covered up a little bit, you think? Maybe, maybe. Can you there you go. Okay. That's better. Yeah. Okay. 
So Steph LeBron, I think we any normal rational person should say that's that's pretty far fetched. Yeah. No. But way. what about some names like, uh, and some of these might bother some people. Do this. Do this. What we're here for. Do this. Here. Gonna it. Say Kobe. Um, All right. I'll Tim see Duncan, you guys later. A lot Dude, let no, let's no, let let let's do that. Let's Magic let's, Johnson. What are, let, let's let's do that because I think first, if we we don't have to go through every player, but the 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 Magic one is is critical to me. I think because they play the same position, agree. You know, like totally different play styles and players. But everybody's like, okay, who who were the greatest all time at their respective positions? So who is the greatest point guard? Even you know now knowing that Steph has four tie with Magic for four titles. You know, um, clearly a magic. I did look. Magic has five too. He has five. Oh, I, okay. So that's crazy. So five it makes it even easier. But uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. totally on the train that Magic. That's my issue. Is I don't think I think Curry's the second best point guard ever. You know, I, you look at Magic from a versatility standpoint. Um, I think he was a better. I think he was better uh, as a passer of the ball. I think he's uh, more versatile because of his height. I mean, he was playing – he's – Magic is actually, in, in a lot of ways, a very modern-day player, which is interesting. I think the direction that a lot of players now are moving towards in terms of having, like, a 6'8 point guard um, that we're starting to see, or somebody like Paula Bencaro that can play any position on the court, Magic was doing that 20 years ago, you know? I mean, and that's – that to me – I mean, even longer than 20 years ago at this point. But, like, to me – yeah, yeah. Um Five five championships as well, five rings. Um, it's really hard to put Curry past him, and then you start getting into like, I mean, all, all the other positions that are on the court. Like you look at, you know, somebody like what about Tim Duncan? You know, does Tim Duncan make it further than than Steph? I think so. So to me, Steph is like maybe right now just like at number ten, you know, or maybe just outside the number ten, the the, the top ten. I might even put him at like eleven or twelve. Uh, but that's no knock against him. I think he's been clearly – and he's got more of his career left. That's the thing is you can't tell until – if he were to win two more rings, now all of a sudden you could be talking like top five, you know? Maybe so. Yeah, but I, I think that's – you know, you mentioned Magic. We didn't even remember that he had five championships. Like, these are just some other things that 40 years removed from watching him, people may easily forget. Like, this dude was a 12-time All-Star just like Steph. Not to mention he really only played – like 11 years, like 11, 12 years of like healthy basketball before he had to take a break uh, because of his AIDS diagnosis. But, you know, 12-time All-Star, two-time steal champ. I know we talk about Steph and how he's progressing as a defender, but Magic Johnson leading the league in steals twice. Like Steph did it once. Okay, did it once. Okay, fair enough. Still that good at it too, but I will give Steph credit because I did not I did not realize that. 10-time All-NBA. He's a three-time Finals MVP. Magic is. Uh, and a three-time MVP. So, and also he averaged a double-double for his career, which is like <clears throat> still crazy. And it's not even a double-double like a like a Steve Nash double-double, like a 15 and 12 wins you the MVP. Like this dude was averaging 20 and 12, like minimum, like 20 plus, 12 plus for, for his career. So I think we get wild because Steph is undeniably the greatest shooter. He's definitely deserving of that distinction. But like point guard, like if we're talking about that position as a whole, like Magic could score. And like Isaac said, this dude was playing every position. When will we ever see Steph start at center unless it's the fourth quarter in an all-star game and guys are messing around? Like Magic started like a, a, a must-win game at center. So I'm like, I don't know. Magic plays 
Magic could play center for me, get a rebound, box out a center, and then run the offense without having to give it out to anybody on the outlet pass. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I think Steph, for me too, I'd have to agree with Isaac is like a fringe top 10, like, like scratching the surface, like 10, nine ish. Um, and I don't have them over guys like Kobe or Tim Duncan uh, just yet, but like, Turner made a good point. Career's not over, though. So who knows how many more years he'll play. The way he plays is conducive to playing longer because he's a shooter. Um, doesn't rely as much on his athleticism. So I could see him playing, playing another maybe five to seven years. And who knows what he'll do in that time. If Steph can, like, make sure that his ankles stay healthy, if he doesn't have another, like, horrible ankle sprain that takes months and months and months for him just to, like – get to 80% or whatnot. Um, I do think he could pass Magic as the best point guard of all time. I do agree, though, with all of you guys in saying that. He is number two yet, and that's because he does have that lack of versatility. But also, you look – obviously, Magic played on stack teams too, but you look at some of – you look at two of his championship teams, two of Steph's championship teams, and they were arguably the greatest teams of all time in terms of roster talent. Like Kevin Durant, who I personally believe and many other people think is the greatest offensive player of all time in terms of just a seven-footer who can shoot like that, like just freak offensive ability. You have Clay Thompson, who's probably the second best three-point shooter of all time. Plus, you also on that team had a better Draymond offensively. Um, a deeper bench than they have now, outside of like Jordan Poole playing now. Like that team was ridiculous. Like – I think you could put that team up against the 90s Bulls and they'd be able to win a couple games in a series. Like, so I think that does hurt Steph's legacy a little bit, especially given the fact that in those two wins, when he had Kevin Durant on his team, Kevin Durant was the finals MVP and he wasn't. So Kevin Durant, although I like in some of those, you could argue for Steph, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant. the fact that Kevin Durant outperformed him, I think shows that even in, like play in today's game, he's like shadow. Not to say that Kevin Durant's greater than Steph. I'd still put Steph above Kevin Durant in all-time ratings because Kevin Durant needed to come to Golden State in order to get rings. Um, Steph Curry was part of that dynasty that got built up, and he was probably the big catalyst that made them great. But um, the fact that you know you have guys that were outperforming him, um, like on the same team only two years ago, like I think Steph has to do a little bit more. But in the end, I. I'd put him within my top 15. Um, I have issues putting him above, like, because, like, for me, Kobe, and this might be a hot take, Kobe's a fringe top 10 player. But I have issues putting Steph above Kobe. I, I, I really don't think I can put Steph above Kobe. So. <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, uh, dude! All right, no, nah, but <laughs> that's for another time. Know. It's for another time. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Yeah. The dam's about to break. It's about to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I was about to get on something totally start. different about just talking about Kobe as a player, but that is not what this episode is about. So I'm not going to get distracted. I'm, just, I'm, I'm gonna let this slide. I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it slide. Just, 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 Sam. Just hear, hear, hear my reasoning afterwards. And you know what? You might convince me because I haven't given it thought in a while. So. Last time I really thought about it, I had him like right outside my top ten, but I don't know. Yeah, now that that'll be a great discussion for another time, <laughs> for sure. I just I don't I don't want to be here for three hours. I just I could literally talk about this forever. 
Like, I'm just like a very Kobe sensitive person. Like, he's my favorite player of all time. But I'm gonna let it slide. I'm gonna let it. No, I, I will. I will let it slide. I will respect your opinion. Oh well, I think there. It gets fun when you, like, it's fun to say. Uh, actually, okay, it, it's easy to say Steph is a French top ten player of all time. And it gets really fun, though, once you get into the individual comparisons and you're just looking through things. And, and, and for the Kobe thing and, and some other players, there's the defensive accolades as well. And if you just look at offensive accolades, then, you know, stuff, stuff is, can be very close to someone. But when I look, one that's really fun for me is Hakeem Olajuwon because Olajuwon won two titles, but – he basically he, he was far and away the best player on both title teams, and he has uh, many defensive. He has a defensive player of the year award and many first team all defense awards. But offensively, you could say maybe Steph's a little bit better. And if you look at Steph's titles, what's the deal there? Steph has four, but could you say only two of them? He was the best player. So is that more similar to? The team also had to play while Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were ruling the league. So can you really fault him for only having two? And so there are a lot of like fun individual arguments like that. Tim Duncan's another one who's I, I think Tim Duncan at the end of Steph's career, I think Tim Duncan and Steph will have the most similar career kind of paths. Um, because both have played with really, really incredible players, but and been on kind of dynasties, but I've won a lot and kind of held it down and been the center of that team throughout those dynasties. But it, it's it's hard to say, but I, I do agree with you guys as he's kind of French top ten, and you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he can edge his way up, and that Kobe conversation could be a little more a little more reasonable. Dude, I'm all for you showing love to Hakeem and Tim. Like, I feel like literally they don't get talked about enough, especially Hakeem, because, like, Shaq, who a lot of people regard as, like, one of the most dominant center ever, like, he gives Kareem props constantly when he's asked about him and said that was the guy that gave him, like, the most problems, like, in terms of who he guarded. And especially Tim Duncan, we forget, because he basically quietly, like, literally and figuratively quietly won five championships. So, you know, on those teams. And I don't know, it's like – do, do we factor in Curry because of appeal? Does does the way he play look pretty? Is that why we put him over other guys? Like mm. Tim, Tim Duncan is your traditional back to basket, use the backboard on a mid range. Like now to you know to to satisfy the appetite of fans. Now people want to see Curry launch from the Chase Center logo because that just looks better than dumping it down and somebody doing a textbook hook shot. But does that change the fact that there are a lot of things statistically and and accolade wise that Tim Duncan has? above curry no it doesn't change that so i don't know it's like with these conversations we have to be careful because are we going to base it off of the eye test are we going to base it strictly off stats or are we going to use both so i don't know i feel like sometimes with these player to player conversations one of those aspects dominates too much so i think with steph it's like the eye test like and recency bias obviously but those two things like dominate his comparison conversations um so yeah but I guess Kareem said it best because he went on, I think it was Jimmy Fallon's show the other day. He's like, oh, you know, he said something along the lines of he has the most points all time, in, you know, in NBA history. And he only took one three-pointer. He only made one three-pointer. So I'm like, 
like, I don't know, like, like, you know, the way people play now, totally different than back then. So you can see it kind of affects the way we have these discussions, but yeah, I don't know. That's a conversation that's going to be ongoing for a long time, you know, at least until Steph retires. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it graduates, you know, and it, you know, especially if he's able to win more championships, like where this conversation will go. So. Will anybody else have any input before we move on? I was just going to add, if he become, if he passes magic as the number one point guard ever, he will jump into my top 10. I mean, that that's, that's a given. I don't think you can put the number one point guard ever outside of the top 10. So. That's totally fair. I would agree with that. I I would say Magic's in my top five. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, and part of that too is is that influence you're talking about because there, there's always the question too of like what if with Magic, um, like at his peak and with what he's able to do with the time that he could play. Who's, uh, in my opinion, the top five player, and so that kind of changes for everyone. And I think to the Steph conversation, he's just unique because there hasn't been anyone. Arguably, I, I would say that the only players who have impacted like mass amounts of people and the viewers of basketball as much as Stephen Curry has, and the way people play and the moves people. Little kids are pulling out, and really the the mass appeal and influence are Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, maybe Allen Iverson, and you could say LeBron because of his dominance and um, I was the chosen one coming out. But I haven't seen a lot of people doing a signature LeBron move, you know, <laughs> because you can't because no one's that athletic and it's harder to relate to a guy who's just a superior athlete, but Stephen Curry, you can, you can try to be Steph Curry, even when you're a seven-year-old and your coaches are screaming to shoot a layup instead. <laughs> and so that how he's influenced the game. There's something um, that's not as tangible about that, that you, I don't know. Could be taken into account too. It's just kind of unique. I just well, with that, today's episode is brought to you by Furry Friends. Furry Friends. Friends for life. First up, we have my furry friend, <laughs> Pooh Bear. Say hello, Pooh Bear. Hey, Pooh Bear. <laughs> As you can see, Pooh Bear has been through the ringer. I've had him since I was two years old, which who's counting, but it's 23 years ago. And everything about him is decrepit and pruny and old. And his smile, look at this. His nose is missing. That used to be like a black, like, like a whole nose and it's gone. Um, and his eyebrows have kept the look of surprise, I would say. So a true companion for life. Be surprised he's alive. Yeah. <laughs> the way he looks, dude. <laughs> no. I can't believe I'm still here. No. <laughs> Who's up next with their uh, furry friend? 
I can go next. Um, so I don't have a name for this pro friend. Um, I wish the viewers could see this on camera, but if you could imagine Chucky's cousin that was really furry, this would be that doll. Um, I honestly think he's one of like the the boys. Lord <laughs> have mercy. Oh my gosh. He's one of the boys from uh, Peter Pan. That's my oh, the one that wears the bear costume. Okay, okay, yes. but like with the spirit of a demon inside of it, because <laughs> he looks demented. Um, it's terrifying. <laughs> it is utterly terrifying. Um, he like, I can just tell you, he stares into your soul. Um, I don't think we have a name for it, but my brother got it like almost a year ago. Um, or it's approaching like eight months, something like that, and. Uh, Basically, we have a tradition where we take it and we hide it in each other's things. And so, like, you'll just, like, be going through your closet, and then he is, there he is just, like, staring at you, just sitting in there, just, you know, yeah, piercing through your skull with those eyes. Um, but he, he is out of – straight out of your nightmares, straight out of a horror movie. Um, yeah, this little guy. I don't even know what to call him. And for some reason, he's still in your house. <laughs> maybe, maybe he, he, maybe he's the reason why I put Kobe out of my top ten. Yeah. Well, yeah, oh, we need to bury that thing, Corbin. <laughs> Anywhere but your house. We need you back for future episodes. It might be like a pet cemetery thing, though. That thing. Looks <laughs> I don't want to bury it because also, if I bury it and I go outside and the hole's been unburied, that's it. I'm done for. <laughs> You're done. I'm moving up the chapel instantly. I wouldn't even want to tell you to donate that because of the countless lives you change if it fell in the hands of another kid. Like, I don't know what you do with it, dude. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. All right, I'll uh, let Sam go last. Um, my little furry friend is Spot here. I got him from Build-A-Bear Workshop back in the day. I don't know exactly how old Spot is, but he's definitely 15 plus years old. And I named him Spot. He has this huge black spot on his back. He's a very creative name maker as a little one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, me and Spot have been best buds for a long time. I've got a... Uh, I still have all of his, you can get little Build-A-Bear clothes. So he had a Hawaiian shirt he used to always wear. And uh, we try to match a lot as kids, you know. But I probably I probably slept with Spot until, there were, I would sleep with Spot in middle school still. I'm not going to lie. Spot held it down, man. We, we were best buds, and I would take Spot everywhere. So, Dude, any of his nose. Yeah, he's still got the Isaac, man, that eliminates yours. Yeah, we his nose <laughs> is kind of scratched off, though, actually, if you can see. Uh, he does have some nasal damage, but <laughs> not quite as bad as Isaac's little poo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll round it out and keep the Disney theme with Isaac because this is Stitch. Uh-huh. Yeah, dude. So I would say probably about 10 years ago, we went to Disney World for the first time as a family. And honestly, the price of this plush is more memorable than the trip itself because everything is <laughs> overpriced at Disney World. I don't even know how much the, I don't even have the price tag on this anymore. But honestly, this this has been priced less because I'm with Turner. I literally slept with this thing probably 
probably through middle school, dude. I say that shamelessly. I do not dude, care. Dude, I still sleep with Booby. I don't know what you are talking about. What's oh, I only sleep with middle school. Dude, I'm 25 and Pooh Bear and I still <laughs> sleep in the same bed all the time, dude. Dude, it's okay. okay. You got to own that. We got to start normalizing that, dude. Kidding? They're, they're, yeah, basically, yeah. they're basically just a shaped pillow. I mean, come yeah. on. You sleep yeah. on pillows with, with difference to stuffed animals. Man. I think you're making our stuffed animals jealous, man. They're they're like, what the heck? You have yeah, that's don't make this one jealous. Do not put your yeah, for, for, Cor- for Corbin's summer. sake. <laughs> Please, I don't want to wake up and it has like a knife in its hand at like three in the morning. <laughs> Dude, we may have to make this podcast episode's cover on Spotify just your doll, just to give a, just to give people a sense of what. That's we're what I'm saying. Doing. No, no, no. What we'll do is here. Everybody take. Everybody hold yours up, and we'll, I'll take a screenshot. Freaking crap. Hold on. I just turned off my phone. Oh, <laughs> Keep posing. All right, ready? Corbin's guy's getting impatient. All right, cool. That's hard. <laughs> You'll just send me that image. I'll make it as the cover, dude. Take <laughs> everyone yeah, down with this. video later of me running over it continually in my car, just trying to, like, get rid of it. <laughs> or you'll be going to Popeye's later, and they'll just be sitting in the back seat. You didn't take him with you. Like, just somehow wind up in the car. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> oh man what a sponsor that has to be our best one yet out of all of our episodes Great. without a doubt mm. furry friends that was awesome okay well we're back to the podcast this is uh less exciting than our advertising nothing nothing's gonna top that little segment that was just so <laughs> but We've got a special report from our inside inside UNC basketball expert Corbin Morley, who has he's been communicating with Pete Nance every day. <laughs> and he's he's got the deep dive on the Pete Nance UNC transfer update. All right, guys. Um so you know it was it was coming in late into the summer. It looked like we were just gonna run with some of the young guys, but uh Pete Nance is officially a Tar Heel. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm super, super pumped about this transfer. Um, shot 45% from the three ball. Um, Isaac, you texted about this earlier this week. 45% from three. Um, for reference, Brady Manick shot 40%. Brady Manick shot more threes and made more threes last year. But if we're going to be sliding Pete Nance into a, a similar-ish role, that means that he his threes will probably go up. So if he's able to maintain a similar three-point percentage with more three attempts, that'd be perfect. Um, but he's he's more physical than Brady Manick is, has more of a natural center build and center play style, you know, has really good hook shot, a really good back-to-the-basket playability. Um, he can rebound. Um, he's a great passer for a big man, kind of like Brady Manick. He can dish the ball. Um, and honestly, I don't even want to compare him to Brady Manick because he's a, he's a different player entirely, just a different play style. Um but he brings in an amazing level of experience. He was Big Ten, was either Big Ten Honorable Player of the Year or he made he was an honorable all Big Ten mention, um, which is impressive given the fact that the Big Ten has always been a great and underrated basketball conference and always been stacked with NBA talent too. Um, so for him to do that um, is very impressive. He's the son of Larry Nance Sr. and the brother of Larry Nance Jr., so he has NBA roots. Um, and uh, – 
who knows? We might be seeing Larry Nance Sr. at some Tar Heel games, which would be pretty cool, too, just to bring in a, an old NBA legend. And even his brother sort of bring in a, a current NBA guy, high-flying NBA guy. But he – yeah, I, I'm excited for that transfer. Um, it's probably – it will, like, in terms of Puff Johnson and Dontrez Styles push them back in terms of um, playtime ability. Well, more so Puff. Dontrez will probably fill in at the three. But it means that our secondary unit is going to come in with, a, like, a chip on their shoulder and is going to come in – with enough experience to have started if Pete Nance hadn't um, transferred to us. So this is a good looking year. That's, that's all I'm going to say right now. Great work, Corbin. That, that was great coverage, man. Um, thank you for Who's that. Ian Rappaport, dude. Who is I've that? Got, I've got <laughs> some breaking NBA news right now. Um, Detroit has traded Jeremy Grant to Portland for a 2025 first round pick. Hmm. That's it. That's what they traded it for. Um, they get Dame wow. some help. Getting Dame some help. All right. Well, let's hop right back into the NBA talk. And tomorrow night is the NBA draft. And I think the, the most controversial player in this draft has to be Chet Holmgren. Some people say he looks like a stick man. This guy will not be able to guard anyone. P.J. Tucker's going to take him to school. Imagine this kid trying to guard someone who's 196 pounds. He couldn't even do it. He's only 195 pounds. Who's seven feet tall and is 195 pounds? But other people are saying, this kid's generational. He's got a jump shot. He can handle the rock. He dominated the Western coast conference <laughs> so what do you guys think about chet holmgren this is this is a polarizing question right now in the nba dude i'm not high on chet holmgren i really never have been i mean you know honestly you know who i think was way better than him in terms of like athletic ability was james wiseman i mean james wiseman is is very similar to holmgren except without the shooting ability and in fact he actually was a decent two-point shooter he was incredibly athletic under the basket. He was really long and lanky and had a crazy explosiveness. Um, I actually saw James Wiseman play a high school game in Memphis uh, at a tournament, and it was it was incredibly dominant. And he was probably I think he's probably when when I saw him he was only about two hundred pounds and also seven feet tall. Um, and we saw what happened to Wiseman when he got to the NBA. I mean that is a more physical version of Chet, and he. I mean, plummeted. I mean, he's no one even knows where he is right now. I mean, is he in the D League? I'm not exactly sure, but I, I really don't have high hopes for Holmgren from a physical side. Now, if you maybe if you make him play as a super oversized four where he can space the floor a little bit or you put him in a really small lineup, I'm sure there's a way to make him work for you. But I mean, man, I, maybe he's best suited on the Warriors where they're going to have these long three point shots and he can kind of sit back on the edge of the paint and get rebounds. I'm just not very high on him um, from a physical standpoint. I don't see him having a very long or successful career. Um, let me add on this this subject to knock out two birds with one stone. Thoughts on Chet, and then who do you think should go number one? I would go ahead and say Jabari Smith fits the magic really well. Um, and so, I, I, for me, he's the clear number one uh, candidate, even though if I were – if I were a GM, I'd, I'd look long and hard at Paolo Bencaro. I think 
for me, Ben Kerr is a name that will be remembered from the class, but I see Jabari going first. I have to second Isaac on that uh, with, uh, with Jabari Smith going first, but I would not rule out. I mean, I, know, I think the Rockets had the second pick, so I know that the general consensus is that they'll take Ben Carroll next. But there's been a lot of talk from pundits and analysts alike that are saying that um, Ben Carroll looks like the most NBA-ready player like in his class, which is kind of similar to what you see with the NFL draft, like with Kenny Pickett. It's like, is that going to be the way it goes? Is somebody going to be the first QB or in this case NBA player off the board because they just seem like they're the most NBA ready or do you take the gamble because somebody has more raw talent and then just hope they can mature um, you know into a quality NBA player and 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 you know your risk gives you reward Um, as for Chet Holmgren since he will more than likely go third I'd like to think like I really would like to think that the Rockets will take him and then Holmgren will go third to Oklahoma City um the 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 measurables are concerning like Isaac said it's like and like like Turner said like that 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 um pair of seven feet 195 is like whoa like you sit back and you think about you know naturally at seven feet you're going to be in the paint at a minimum whether it's four or five so let's think about some of the guys that this dude could be getting worked by next year like you might draw a Jokic matchup heaven forbid you draw an Embiid matchup you might draw a guy like Carl Anthony Towns which may work in Holmgren's favor because Towns likes to play on the perimeter. He's one of the best three-point shooting bigs in the league. Anthony Davis, if he can stop shattering every time he takes a step, that would be a different, you know, that would be a difficult situation if you had to guard somebody like him. So I think the weight is a concern, but you definitely, you know, guys like Brandon Ingram have made it work. Brandon Ingram looks like he has not gained any weight since he entered the league in like 2017, 2018, but he was given the Suns buckets in the first round. I know it's different positions though, obviously, because, if Holmgren's going to play the four or the five, you need to be able to hold yourself like when you're getting jostled around. But, I mean, it's definitely a concern. And just like Isaac also said, you're not going to last long in this league if your body can't take hits. And if you're like ungainly and clumsy because you don't have control over yourself and you're on the lighter side, yeah, you're going to get knocked around. And you may only last two, three years in this league. So I don't know. We'll have to see. He will not go any later than top three because why would you pass up on somebody with that wingspan and that height? Um, but hopefully he can spend a weekend with Zion Williamson and hopefully gain gain some weight. And he would turn out he if he gets stronger, he'll definitely Chet's gonna be a problem. I will say that. I, I agree with all those takes. Um I will say I do think Chet might have the most embarrassing but fun to watch welcome to the NBA moment purely because of his size. Cause if he can, if he plays in the four or five, he's gonna get postered or just like boxed out so hard he just like falls to the ground like he he's gonna get bodied um the first couple months if not the first entire season in the league he's gonna he's gonna have to pull off a Giannis transformation and put on like 50 pounds of muscle or just weight um in in the next couple of years if he wants to be relevant because Giannis had to do that and look how good he is now um but yeah I'd I'd say Jabari probably looks like he's solidified the number one and yeah I've been hearing the same thing about um, Paulo Bancaro, he's the most um, NBA ready. And I mean, it makes sense for just like, even as, as Tar Heel fans, just watching him play at Duke, he was spectacular, man. And, and, and gosh, like, and I, I take pride in saying that the only guy that I think really ever slid him down was Leaky Black. But even when he played great defenders like Leaky, you could see he adjusted and he got, he would get used to a player's defensive rhythms and okay, I got this. And you just switch his game a little bit. Like, some of these other guys, like even Jabari Smith, if you, like 
watching him on in, in tough matchups, they would just kind of try to keep on forcing it and it just wouldn't work out. So I think Chet Holmgren, I mean, if I had to put in, this is very early, if I had to put in a prediction for NBA Rookie of the Year, I'd give it to him um, simply because I think he's going to come in and instantly be able to produce versus these other guys who will also be able to produce, but not the same level, um, even if their ceilings are a little bit higher. But yeah, those are my uh, predictions for the, the top three entering this class. Oh, yeah. The Chet, the Chet Holmgren thing is, is really interesting because, like, I have been reading a lot of different, different evaluations, and all of them are stressing that he's a really unique prospect. And people throw that word around, unique, for a lot of different players, but they're like, this guy is seriously something that we just haven't really seen before because he's not super explosive, but his game's really polished. And he's he's got great length. He seems like he's a really good shot blocker, but the problem is if you get into his chest and can push him off of you, it's pretty easy to finish on him. I watched some highlights from the Memphis game in the tournament because I remember watching that and thinking, like, this guy's getting bullied right now. And he's a great shot blocker from, like, the help side because – he can use his length and catch people by surprise. But when people go straight into him, into his body, they can finish. Even at the college level, the, the athletes that Memphis had, there was a guy, I, can, I didn't know who he was, but it was number 23. And then it was also um, uh, Jalen Duran down low. Duren, yeah. And there, there, was one, there was one other guy. And, and I was just, I thought it was really interesting because I was reading like NBA players and even NBA guards are really good at going into your body as a defender and going into your chest in order to create separation. And I think that's where he's going to, he's going to get bullied and he's going to need to put on a lot of weight. And I don't think I ever see him being like a number one option either. Like he, his game isn't, he, he doesn't have offensive ability like with his handle, like Kevin Durant and he doesn't have, that shot making ability either, but he's also still pretty darn good. So he just kind of falls in this weird area that I don't think people know what to do with. So it's really easy to say that he could not be good because it's very possible that he just can't put on that weight and he's a non-factor. Um, so I, I agree a lot with what, how you guys feel about him too. And I just, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with his career um, and yeah, I, I agree too that Jabari Smith, I think he's going to go number one and I think he should because of his defensive abilities. Um, Bancaro didn't always show that he was the best defender and that could have been just like, he's tired from having to be the guy for Duke's offense a lot, or uh, I don't know, but I think a lot of people really like Jabari Smith's defensive potential more than Bankero, but I think Bankero is definitely the best scorer going into this draft. So I actually agree exactly with you get the order that all you guys said too. So we're, we're pretty much in agreement there. Um, who are some other guys in the draft that you guys really like some sleepers or some different players that you won't really want to talk about? Dude, this is so random, but for some reason, like Jaden Ivy came to mind because he had an interview the other day where somebody asked who he wants to dunk on when he gets in the league, and he said LeBron. So, like, I literally – I love the mentality from some of these young guys, like, before they've even been drafted. And even with Chet Holgren, uh, Holmgren, because he was saying how in three months, 
somebody asked him who was going to be the best player in the NBA in three months. He's like myself. So these guys, like with this attitude, now Jaden Ivey saying, yo, y'all want to dunk on LeBron. Like, that's somebody that I cannot wait to see, not only where he goes, but the role he plays like early and how involved he'll get and how successful he'll be. Because I remember um, I was terrified that we were going to have to play Purdue in the NCAA tournament. And he was one of those guys that I did not want to have to see R.J. Davis try to guard because this guy was struggling with smaller Baylor guards. And that game was terrifying enough. So, you know, Jaden Ivey, you know, especially with that confidence. Oh, yeah, he's going to cause a lot of problems. I can't wait to see where he winds up. I've heard that uh, Memphis is trying to trade up to the fourth pick to wow. pick up Jaden Ivey and that they will let go of anyone but John Morant to try to do it. Dude, so imagine. I've heard I've heard whispers that – because I think the, or who are they, who's at fourth? The Kings? Yeah, it's the Kings. So. so I've heard that – The Kings have all those guards. So they're like, why should we stay here when we literally have like three point guards on a roster? Apparently the Grizz are thinking about giving both their draft picks and a combination of two of the three of um, – well, definitely, uh, so both the draft picks and then Desmond Bain and then either Dylan Brooks or um, – well, I can't think of his name. Oh, my gosh. The guy that played down low as, as the Not five Jared from Jackson. Gonzaga. Oh, okay. No, Gonzaga Center. Uh, Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark. Um, which and, and then they would have him in the front court – or they'd have him with, uh, with Ja as one and two. That would be crazy. Which would be insane, but you're losing Desmond Bain, who I really like. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that. I, you know I what like Desmond Bain is already, you know? He's yeah. Like, um, but I really do like – I mean, call me biased, but I think Jalen Duran is a great is a great rebounding center. I think he'll last in the league for a long time because um, he's one of the most physically imposing people um, in this whole draft, I would say. Um, and then you got some sleepers. I mean, what about like, I mean, Ty Ty Washington um, could come in and do well wherever he falls, maybe 20 or 19. So it's definitely one of the stronger classes we've seen in a while. Um, I think Jaden Ivey to me is, is the, the biggest question mark. I think he has the most, to me, he has the most potential. I'll say I could see Ivy being the best out of that class. I, I think some, um, some like sleeper guys that I'm really high on. And these are guys that are still projected to go pretty high in the first round, but that like didn't get a lot of hype coming in is uh, first Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. Um, this dude went to the combine and literally outperformed like top five picks in the scrimmages and like, like guys that still played, like he dominated, he was disgusting, like hitting threes, dunking on people. He, lit it up and he played himself into like the mid teens now. So like he, he's a stud, like as a Hornets fan, we don't even need him. And if we drafted him, I'd be okay with it. But um, he also has a seven foot wingspan. Yes. He, and he's like six, six. Yeah. So he's a small forward, like a seven. So like, like just his, his physical attributes, everything he can shoot. Like he's, he looks like he has a ton of potential. Um, So I'm pretty high on him. Keegan Murray is another guy that I think will be up there with Paulo Bancaro being one of the most pro-ready players. Like, I think he could come in and average 16, 17 points as a rookie. Um, just, I mean, just, he averaged 24 points a game in Iowa this past year. Just his ability to score is unparalleled. Um, so I think he's – I'm looking at mock draft right now, and they have him going fifth um, for, deep, for at, to the Pistons. 
Um, I think he'd really be able to help him out there. Him and Cade Cunningham would be an amazing combo. But, um, but yeah, I think he's going to be a stud. Um, it'll be interesting to watch Shaden Sharp play because this guy's projected in some drafts to go top five and didn't even play a minute at Kentucky this last year because of injury. So they're picking him purely off of just his ability. I, I remember reading up on him, his ability to shoot like off the dribble and just how pure his jump shot and how flowy he is. Like he's so smooth with his playmaking ability. Um, like people are just really hyping that up. So it'd be interesting to see how he does um, going out of that. I've heard and read a lot of good stuff about Dyson Daniels, one of the G league guys coming out and people are saying that he, his like three point ability is insane. Um, he's fast, athletic. He's getting a lot of hype. And then um, one guy that I don't really understand. I mean, I only got one game of watching. I only watched one game of him in college is Jeremy Sochan from Baylor. So we, he obviously became like a little one game enemy against Carolina in the tournament, just for being a guy that can kind of push your players off edge and get in their heads. Um, but he kind of just like, he didn't, show a lottery pick talent to me like watching him like he and even you look at his stat line like he averaged like nine points a game like two assists and three rebounds now he's a lockdown he's a great defender and he's fast and he hustles and he moves and, and like his shot isn't horrible he can work on it but I didn't see anything that made me think wow this guy's a stud so I, I'm curious to see how that goes but I think those guys really stuck out to me and then um one last little Hornets thing, Mark Williams. I'd be happy with that draft pick just because of his defensive tangibles. The Hornets might try to trade for Miles Turner. That'd be kind of crazy if that wound up working out. Like, I, I've just heard I have other friends that are Hornets fans too, and I just thought about how the Hornets desperately need, like, a solid center. Like, because they're so guard-heavy, in my opinion, especially if it means you can move Gordon Hayward out because this dude is just, like, honestly just hemorrhaging cash at this point, just stealing. Yeah, Sam, that's that's the one, one situation I'd really want to trade for Miles Turner is if we could get rid of Gordon Hayward's contracts. But the reason I don't feel as desperate to do that anymore is because of who Corbin just mentioned, Mark Williams. Um, the thing I find really interesting about him is he had the second highest standing reach in combine history after Taco Fall. He had a nine foot nine inch standing reach at the combine. Like that's insane. He had the largest wingspan of anyone in this draft and he's seven two. Like he's a good defender. He's the ACC defensive player of the year, which should have been leaky black, but you know, he's a good defender. He can dunk. As long as he can finish a little bit, if the Hornets draft him, all you need is someone who can dunk and he's athletic because Lamelo's going to find you. You can clean up stuff. Like, you don't have to stretch the floor. It's Miles Turner can do that a little bit. But at this point, a Hornets, honestly, Hornets fans, we just don't want another unathletic white dude at center, to be honest. We don't want a Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley or whoever. Frank Comiskey retired of it. Um, I think the uh, yeah you talked about Corbin Johan from Baylor. It's really interesting because the dude can't shoot at all, and it's just showing how much the NBA is changing. Because this guy who has 
pretty little offensive skill, but is a big dude who's really good at switching is so valued now because the NBA is becoming kind of positionless. So all these GMs are valuing him as like a high, a mid lottery pick just because he can, he's a switchy defender and they're just hoping that his shooting will pan out. So he's an interesting guy. Um, you had a lot of the same guys that I really liked, Corbin. So I, I thought that was pretty funny. I, one guy I'm not really that high on is Johnny Davis. Um, he's in Taco Bell commercials, which I don't really understand, but good for him. But he was a really inefficient scorer for Wisconsin last year, and he kind of became one of the faces of college basketball. But he wasn't super efficient in doing it. And I thought Keegan Murray was a lot better than he was um so that's an interesting guy to see where he falls and then the last person i wanted to talk about was dyson daniels uh, the australian dude that corbin also mentioned because you know we don't really get to track those international guys and get to watch them like you get to watch ncaa players throughout the season and like get to learn a lot about them but apparently he's a super smart player, and I was reading about him earlier today. He outplayed Josh Giddy. They played on the same team in Australia for a couple of years before he uh, did the G League Ignite team last year, and he like, consistently outplayed Josh Giddy, who was really great as a rookie this past year in the NBA. And he's a six-seven guy who can play lead guard and. Has a- really good shooting mechanics and is a great passer and an amazing defender. And so I've seen a lot of people taking him at seven with the trailblazers because the trailblazers desperately need defensive players. Um, so it's going to be a fun draft. I, I really like those guys. Do you guys have anyone you're really hoping that your team drafts? I would love to see the Grizz move up and get Benedict Mathurin, which I'm, I'm surprised we haven't really talked much about him. Um, I'm really high on Benedict Mathurin. And I, and I was before, to be fair to me, I was long before he did well in the combine and with the interviews because he's he's jumped up the board a good bit. I think he went from maybe uh, somewhere between 8 to 12 range to now he's looking at like 5 to 8 range um, to be picked up. But I think he's really mature. I think that um, he's really versatile as a player. I think Having somebody, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he might be like six seven, uh, and he's playing the three. So I, I think for me, somebody that can shoot like he can, that can also crash the boards, uh, maybe add a little size in the weight room. Um, I, the Grizzlies are definitely trying to trade up. I'd love to see them pick him up around nine or eight. I would say for the Lakers, which I unfortunately am a fan of, I don't even think we have a – I don't even know if we have a draft pick. I don't think we do. Yo, we're <laughs> going to have eight, but you traded it to the uh, Pelicans. It was going to be the Grizzlies pick if you all had gotten outside the top ten. But since you all finished <laughs> right. in the That's lottery, right. it went to the, the Pelicans. Because I was like – because the other day we tried to <laughs> – we literally got turned down trying to move Westbrook and a first for Brogdon. Like that's rumor has it and got denied. And we're giving a team a first. And I was like, okay, I didn't know we had a first, but it's a 2026 first. So I guess, like, we really don't have any picks. So I was like, if we're marketing picks four years in the future, we probably don't have one now. 
So that's what I thought. I was like, I don't think we have a draft. So honestly, yeah, uh, I'm just going to watch the draft on spectator mode and just like observing what other town will be in the league because we still have to deal with the nonsense that we have. But that is – don't even get me stuck. Like, yeah, that's like totally different topic, whole Lakers infrastructure, bro. But whatever. Yeah, we don't, we don't have a draft pick, so that's unfortunate. Sam, do you think the Lakers could pull off a Kyrie Irving trade? Believe it or not, dude, even if it means he only plays 16 and a half games, I think it's possible. The, the problem is going to be the problem is literally moving Westbrook because there's no way that they'll that they could coexist on the same team. And there's no way that they will. What makes things awkward is that they've been talking about a trade that centers around Kyrie and Westbrook that would send both guards to reunite with their forwards of the world. And I think a Kyrie LeBron reunion works because I think they've like reconciled or whatever. But my thing is, I don't think Durant wants anything to do with Westbrook. And I don't think Westbrook at this stage in his career wants anything to do with Kevin Durant. Not to mention Westbrook was already suspect when he was a superstar when they played together initially in Oklahoma City. Westbrook is absolute garbage now. So there's no way that the Nets want to deal with a big three of two brick masons and Kevin Durant, if you include Ben Simmons. So, yeah. We'll have to see what happens, though. Turner, you mentioned, I mean, you and I both are Hornets fans, uh, Mark Williams. What, like, is that other pick, what, what do you think? Do you want us to trade it, keep it, and draft somebody? What, what are your thoughts on that? If we could move it with Gordon Hayward, I would love it, but I really – I want Mark Williams, unless Jalen Duren still is over. That's, that's the other thing I'd be cool with. But yeah, I uh, – I'd be cool with us taking a win. Baji would be a great Green D guy who seems to be in that range. Um, I don't want Johnny Davis. And uh, if, if we could get Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, that would be a home run. Dude, I, I, I agree, man. Um, I, either one of those guys, Jalen Duran. I mean, I do think if Jalen Duran falls, we probably will take him and just – Avoid Mark Williams. I, Mark Williams' physical, like, uh, just measurements are pretty enticing. But um, Jalen Duran is totally a banger down below. Like, he's gonna just absolutely, you know, move you out of the paint and use his body to kind of to get to get rebounds and you know get the ball in the basket. Um, so I so I, I'd be fine with either of those guys. Um, I've also read about Baji. I read the other day about Jeremy Sochan. Again, I just voiced that I'm not as high on him as other people are, but I mean, it, again, the fact that he is high is got me curious. Um, so I don't know if the, the, he could not be a good player. So I'd be, I mean, I'd be disappointed, but I wouldn't be, I mean, we've, it's the Hornets. We've made a lot worse picks in the past. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I'd say it would be probably best if we were able to move Gordon Hayward and get him out of there. And um, real quick, I just got an update via Tar Heel in, um, Insider on Instagram, Matas uh, Bruzelis, Bruzakis, the 2023 five-star, um, is going to be announcing his commitment in two days. Two days at midnight. Um, this guy is basically a Chet Holmgren 2.0. Um, he, he's gross. He's so awesome. So most people are saying he's going to choose G League. That's the general consensus. But fingers crossed, because if we brought him in with Simeon uh, 
Wilker and Gigi Williams. Jackson. Jackson. Gigi Jackson. Oh man, dude, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I know. I'd, I'd read that Hubert had been like really, really pursuing him like the past couple of weeks. Mm. Mm. Dang. Well, boys, I actually have to bounce here in a second. We've got Ole Miss. Another headline. Ole Miss, uh, if they win today, will go to the College World Series finals uh, in a best-of-three series to become champions of the college baseball world. So that starts in about 20 minutes here. I've got to go watch with my family. Who would they play? Yeah. They yeah. play Arkansas. And if they lose – so Arkansas has one loss. We have no, we don't have any because we, we beat them last time we played. So Arkansas has to beat us twice for us to not make it to the finals. How's the rest of the field looking? Because I know Stanford's already been eliminated. And, it's uh, the other bracket is, I believe, Oklahoma and Texas A&M, maybe. Okay, so Texas um, A&M ended up beating Texas. Yes. Okay. So, and actually, I'll tell you right now if they won today because they already played. Okay, Oklahoma won. So, it's going to – the winner of this series with Ole Miss and Arkansas will play Oklahoma. Hmm. Heck, yeah, dude. That's – that's pretty awesome because, I, I mean, I honestly, since when Tar Heel baseball went out, I kind of stopped keeping up with it. But, like, it's a lot of teams that weren't super seeds. And I think that's pretty awesome that you got a, a bunch of teams that, um, you know, weren't supposed to make it. But, like, nah, they just went in and did what they do best and just, have, you know, really proved people wrong and gotten all the upsets. Mm. All right, fellas, well, are, are y'all going to keep it rolling? I think uh, yeah, I, I that should that. about do it. Yeah, yeah, I think we pretty much covered everything that we wanted to today. I honestly think this was another banger, bro. We 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 come back, all four of us, and we still <laughs> drop bangers. We do it, crazy, dude. Well, then in that case, um, live from Pearl Lane. This has been the Odd Pearl Podcast. Keep it easy. <laughs>